0: This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by BellaCatering.com.au. Guys, Bella Catering, one of Sydney's best catering companies, now exclusively clamped down into home delivery during the midst of COVID 19. We're on the precipice in New South Wales and Sydney area, lucky enough to not be completely locked down just yet. So, if you're going to have people over at your house, why bother cooking? It sucks. So, get Bella Catering get some delicious food, at least let that help you get through uh, you know, months worth of face-to-face catch-ups with folk, uh, and that is what you can do. You can jump onto bellacatering.com.au. They're great people. Glenn and Maria, thank you so much. They've been such an integral part in us bringing you the show during this lockdown, and we appreciate them very much. I hope you're enjoying all the President's Men. We have another banger of an episode for you. If you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to John Borston, the assistant to Alan J. Pakula. Welcome to the show. Let's do it. I
1: remember thinking when I first read the Woodward and Bernstein articles, where is this going? Especially coming in the midst of all the turmoil that was playing out in the streets around the country. <laughs>
2: President Nixon's first term in office had been marred by loud, frequent, and sometimes violent protests,
1: largely against the Vietnam War. It really did seem like the world was unraveling. Growing up in a suburban existence with parents who saw Chicago in 1968 erupt into flames, saw people burning their draft cards, saw a sexual revolution, saw a drug revolution, saw saw Woodstock coming to their homes. Well, when I joined the Nixon White
2: House, there were a lot of demonstrations against the war. It probably was some of the most intense times I think our country had ever faced. I mean, often we were feeling like we were in a state of siege. You felt it physically. We knew that we were going to have to protect the White House. There was a lot of discussion about using troops directly facing the demonstrators, which I felt could lead to direct confrontations and conflicts. And so it came to me, why don't we do what John Wayne did? Let's just circle the White House with buses, not wagons, but with buses, which is what we did.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today for episode 79 of Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 Oscar-winning masterpiece, All the Presidents Man. are two guys who I'm only now just becoming uh, chummy with Familiar with, after an insanely fun, uh, one of my highlights probably of the year uh, time on the Cinephile Game Night, I'm joining the host of the Cinephile Game Night. I'm also joining a co-founder of the film stage. Both of these guys are contributors to the film stage and they co-host a terrific B-side podcast, which very recently gave the public service announcement that Samuel L. Jackson's middle name is in fact Leroy, not (laughs) L as some people may have just assumed, like Homer J. Simpson, Donald J. J. Trump. Um, It is actually stand for something. Um, But both of these guys I had such an insanely fun time talking to. They are also East Coast filmmakers um, uh, in their own right. But uh, I thought really almost anyone who got a chance to watch it, if you haven't, you can go back to all the Cinefall game nights, but the most recent one where the film stage joined by uh, a few of us One Heat Minute Productions folk had a blast together, and I just felt like almost every single one of those great people that I had so much fun talking to need to come onto this show. Um, so it's with my great pleasure that I welcome Connor O'Donnell and Dan Mecca. Dan, Connor, welcome to all the president's minutes.
2: Thanks for having us. What a, yeah. what an honor. This yeah, this I happened fast it. and furious, and it's lovely to be with you with you, Blake. And um, yeah, that game night was fun. It was like everybody was really good. You know what I mean? That's yeah. always a fun game night. Where I feel like Blake, you were going long into games. I was going long. Connor was going long. Was that Billy Ray was on that one, right? From, yep, yep, yep,
0: uh, yep. He was
2: uh, like incredibly good, right? It was, like, you was guys, a. You really there
0: was night. a couple. There was a couple where I think everyone had gone like twenty goes in, and I think beyond twenty and thirty, there were a couple where I'm like, I don't even know where I am anymore. I forget <laughs> what we even are at the beginning. It was an absolute blast, and I was just, um, I was personally very proud of my bestie Maria Lewis because. Sometimes she would just pull something. And she, like, she was like holding it down hardcore. Good. Like she was yeah. real good. There's a couple of those where I'm like, I'm completely lost. But um, also, you know, the fun of uh, um, um, actor movie is that you get torpedoed with someone who just has like, and, 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 and I, I would just say since becoming a dad, my recall for the third and fourth and fifth people on a, on a cast list of an obscure movie. <laughs> oh, it is absolutely torpedoed out of the water. So, um, but it was, no, as a, as a total blast, I was so honored that you guys asked me to come and be a part of it. It was a, a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, no, that was great having you guys. And you're right. Maria was uh, unbelievable. She had her recall and her ability to go deep into like when we were, was it was a Bruce Willis where she was like pulling out, some deep vods and you know that's so impressive i love
0: that <laughs> so um thank you so much for doing this show you guys on your great podcast go into um and, and sort of this is my version of the summary of it is that you will talk the roles uh or the films depending if you're talking to a director that define a, a sort of someone really well known that don't get talked about whatsoever so they're not in the conversation if you're talking about the the obit films you know you are talking yeah. about you're never talking about the movies that you guys cover, which is kind of great because they're kind of the underseen, not mentioned. And sometimes the actual gems that drive those performers and those people into their biggest things. And I feel like, you know, if you're talking about Alan De Kula, uh particularly here, he's got a great, he's got a great potential B-side list of movies that people haven't really seen. And then there's like this paranoia trilogy right in the middle of his career that are like, these are the O-Bit movies. It's all the president's man. It's parallel, it's, it's Clute. And they, they become the sort of top billing.
2: No, you're totally, you're totally right. And I think, Connor, you can agree with me or disagree. I think the, re- the, re- the reason the B-side became what it became is because, you know, me and Connor have been friends forever. And I feel like so much of our friendship is, is built on the conversations that now we have in podcast form, just in real life, where, you know, you talk about someone like Pakula and you go like, did you know he made a Wall Street corruption movie called Rollover with Chris Christopherson?" <laughs> and You know, and it's like, no, I yeah. didn't. Tell no. me more. <laughs> Let's watch it. Let's find it. Let's discuss, right? Yeah. And it's like, Right, Connor. I mean, you would think that's. I feel like where that all yeah, started.
1: And it, and no, and, and going about it that way when we try and pick B sides, it be it does become this fun. You know, we're not. We don't necessarily try and aim for like positive reappraisals, and we also don't necessarily try to aim to like take down bad movies. It's not that kind of podcast. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it shakes out that way. Uh, one that stands out is like we did an adam sandler episode where we we covered oh God, some sides. Yeah. and we admittedly and this might have been one of the first times on the show that we even said this but like in the middle of the podcast we were like this was tough right like and it's, <laughs> and it's you know we don't we it, it, a lot of it when we plan it out you know some of them are definitely ones that we both know already that we're like yeah let's talk about that because nobody talks about it but then other ones are like oh i didn't even know about this like let's pull it out let's see what it is and then you watch it and you're like okay like you know we have to now just talk about this thing and um well
2: yeah and can i shout out since we're talking about pakula uh, and i was just going over his filmography can i can i just shout out one b side of pakula's that i just will kind of it's a soft recommend yes. um comes a horseman love from it in the late 70s you've seen it
0: i've seen it and, yeah. I, and only this year i saw it and i was completely blown away at james khan james fonda also robots. And robards and and James Kahn, like quietly giving one of the best performances of his entire career as a cowboy.
2: Yeah, I mean, so we'll have to shout out our buddy Adam Drosen, who works at Paramount. He was on our Warren Beatty uh B side. He's an old buddy. I worked with him at a film company many years ago and what whatnot. Um me and him discovered comes a horseman a million years ago. And I don't even know how good the movie is, if I'm being honest, but what I love about, and this is the thing about Pakula that I love. He basically makes an kind of an anti neo-Western, mm. you know, like 12 years before Costner's doing it and winning Oscars for it. And like, and no one sees it. Right. And it's like, everybody's in it. con's in it. Fonda. It, right. It, it
0: it's the whole Yellowstone is the biggest show in the world. Oh God and it's yeah. like, like yellowstone is the biggest blueprint for it is comes a horseman the whole thing
2: 100, you're you're a hundred you're i didn't even think about that until you just said that you're totally right yellowstone which is like the biggest show in america that nobody knows about because it's like a middle america show or whatever but it's a huge show is literally like if you did comes a horseman you know for today yeah you're right you're totally right
0: and costner stealing pakula's thunder again <laughs>
2: you know, we, Kossner, he, we figured out his blueprint he just took peaches took pakula and he and he uh and he made it for the masses that's funny
0: so thank you so much for indulging me you guys obviously are used to speaking about people's entire careers and their things i'm asking you to speak about 60 seconds of a film and actually it's really good i haven't done too many uh where we've got multiple guests on the show largely because COVID basically. Um, I haven't had the luxury of having multiple people in the room talk to me, but it's so great to talk to both of you guys because I think we are smack bang in the middle of probably the most iconic scene of the movie. uh, For folks who have been listening, Uh, the the bookkeeper scene starts right at the death of the 74th minute. Um, We've had Bo Roberts, we had Alan J. Pakula's assistant and now filmmaker in his own right and writer, John Borson on for the 75th Seventy sixth, seventy seventh. it's just a massive cheat minute where we basically talk about the whole scene. So just that's the 76th minute, Um, the great Mark Graham, uh, Drea Clark, and now these gentlemen. Um, I'm excited to talk to you guys today about it because it's just, it's nice to get fresh eyes and particularly in this moment, um, I just there are so many scenes that you usually think about with tension. You usually think about with stakes. You usually think about with performances. And in this particular scene, I just love that there are these massive gargantuan things happening between these two people. And everything is like, it's like you're having a a corporate meeting because you're so (laughs) strained and so trying to rein in your emotions and your desires that it's like, it's just absolutely just dripping with all this implicit stuff. And I feel like it's, it's good to get as many eyes on a scene like this as possible. So can I ask, is uh, all the presidents a, you know, with everything else that you guys do watch, is all the president something that you guys have a relationship with or peculiar as a filmmaker? Is that someone you have a relationship with?
2: Go ahead,
1: yeah, no, I, I would say so. I mean, this to me was a, a big, I think kind of gateway movie, maybe when I was like 15 or 16, I think it is for a lot of people of a certain age, right. Where, especially if you're getting into movies, it's just, you know, it is one of the greats. So it's just part of a list that you kind of just check off. And I actually remember watching this movie for the first time in conjunction with parallax view, which is just, I feel like as you get into it and you talk about Pakula in particular, you can't really divorce the two because it's such a, a, a distinct pairing of films. Right. Um, But, yeah, it it, this movie was so, I think, important to me and ingrained itself in the back of my head with the fact that, and you've kind of talked about this on a few of the episodes you've done so far, but the idea that you're not really, on like, on paper, it all sounds boring. Yes. Like, if you were to just describe certain aspects of it, it all seems boring. And what i love about that is how that in, sort of intertwines itself with the paranoia of it all right yep. like the idea that you know they're sitting in rooms having these conversations that might be listened to right and you're not you're not ever given a glimpse like there's no scene where they're followed by a car or anything like that right there's you're not given a glimpse of anybody actually listening to them or anything it's all there kind of Just in the mind's eye of like, oh, somebody like I'm saying these things in what should be the safety and privacy of my own home. But like, it doesn't feel that way because I don't feel that way. Right. And but when you look at it objectively, if you were to take the context out of it uh, with a lot of these scenes, it's just two people talking to one another, like there is no actual sort of uh, tense stakes to anything. Um, And I think this movie, overall, because of that, is a really great examination of how you can build tension with just certain assumptions and certain kind of and, and that context right yes. um which I think is kind of fascinating, whereas like something like the parallax view is kind of this fever dream esque thing where y- you are deliberately shown like, no, 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 everything's terrible all the time. And like <laughs> crazy things are happening. Um, and they're very, they're very similar movies in one regard. Uh, I, I guess I suppose at least thematically, but aesthetically very different movies and it's what makes, I think it's what tips its hat to Pakula as an interesting filmmaker and maybe more of a diverse filmmaker than, than maybe some people might give him credit for. Um, but the patience of this movie, I think, is what really what really kind of makes that dread seep in, which uh, this particular chunk of the movie, I think, does especially well.
2: Yeah, no, and, and for me, just all the presidents meant very important. Um, I kind of grew up with it. I come from a very kind of traditionally Clinton liberal family, if you will, right? So like, the New York times and the post and just newspapers in general. And those types of discussions were always kind of ever present in my house. So like at a young age, I was, you know, the, all the president's men was deep in my purview. And even at a, in high school and in college, I was, you know, I was a writer for the different newspapers, you know, and I was an I'm editor. My-
0: really, something where you don't really have in Australia. Annoying. Oh, a new- yeah, we don't have like school papers. I mean, like maybe really? private schools, but I, I remember I hear these stories. Like, finally, I wrote for my school paper, and maybe yeah. college paper, but like a high school paper. Just probably because of the size of the country, it's like. I mean, I think that's they interesting. Quote, they don't, and they. I think they had like we discovered at our high school that there once was a school radio, and we were like, oh. radio. we were so excited. <laughs> the radio, give me the mic. I, I want to be the DJ. You know, that's you get, funny. But but there wasn't. You know, there's not that formal thing of a club. That you all
2: are- yeah, I don't – and even in the States, I don't know how common it is anymore. I mean, with budget cuts and – you know what I mean? You read these stories, who knows, right? It's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs in a lot of respects. But, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of my my formal years. Like, I, I wrote a lot. It was a lot about movies. Like, I remember writing a review in high school calling Sin City a masterpiece. You know what I mean? Like, I wrote for my local city paper, the Poughkeepsie Journal, which is, like, a real paper – they had like a teen section. I think the first review I wrote for that section was like Brokeback Mountain. And then when I went to college, I did arts, but also would do some news stories. And what I think is funny, you know, so whatever point is journalism is really important in my life, even though I'm not a journalist anymore, obviously. I never was a professional journalist. My dad was. So there's that part of it as well. Um. So what I love about this scene and specifically this minute is You know, this is a great paranoid thriller, of course. Uh, Like Connor said, it happens after Parallax, like you've said many times, all that stuff. But one thing that can't be understated about this, or overstated, rather, about this movie is is it is the perfect journalism movie. And it captures journalism really, really well. Because this minute is literally Hoffman just waiting Jane Alexander out right? And that's half of what being a journalist is about. And something I was never good at, right? Like I was never, when I did news stories, like I remember there was a flood in Buffalo where me and Connor went to school and I had to kind of report on it. And it was uncomfortable. You have to like talk to people, you know, and you have to basically try to goad people into the truth, right? And like, if you don't have the backbone and the wherewithal and the patience to like get there, you won't get it right and i think this movie really does a great job illustrating how look in real life woodward was uh a more a catch more flies with honey guy in real life <laughs> yes and in real and in real life bernstein this is well documented was not bernstein was like a i'm gonna kind of be an asshole about some stuff
0: and i'm gonna kind of dare you into he's the still, truth he's still doing the thing he's lightest still light. doing it he's lost yeah there's a cnn article recently that um a friend of the show sean burns uh tweeted a lot which i enjoyed it's like it's got a 109 word lead uh at the top of the article (laughs) and and he's just like here's bloody bernstein still doing the thing still fired up still writing yeah i read
2: that i read that article i remember i know that yeah he, he he he's still as fiery as ever and i think woodward is kind of slowed down a bit but he's still writing his books and stuff and like yeah. Anyway, I just think this minute where it's basically Hoffman getting a cup of coffee. You know, he has two of the best. I mean, we'll get into it. He has two of my favorite line reads in the whole movie happen in this minute from Hoffman, and then, um, and then Jane Alexander, like you've mentioned, another uh, episodes nominated for this uh, role. I mean, a perfect example of how much you can do as an actor without having to say much right i mean mm-hmm. just an incredible performance so yeah this is a big one for me and this is like this is the one that leads you to all the other in my opinion that leads you to all the other journalism movies you know what i mean so yeah it's, so,
0: yeah, a, it's i agree It's let's say it's a, a yardstick movie it's really tough you know when i was thinking about doing a new project and I was thinking about doing this a few people and, and I know you've talked about one of your we, we were talking about it just in the pre-record of the show a few people were like oh you know if you're doing a journalism movie after one heat minute that means you're going to do the insider right you got of course you're going to do right. the insider and I feel like that would have been it's such a hard thing to like pivot immediately to another really auto-driven movie because that that the insider for me has such a deep kinship with like a bunch of movies that were made between sort of like Six, let's just say 68 to 80, but like particularly like 72 to 76 because it's it's got such a deep kinship with things like network and, and, and things like all the president's men and the things like the conversation um, and even blow up and blow out, which are all sort of around that area. It's got such a deep kinship to it. So it feels like if you're going to do a journalism movie, it almost feels like you're doing a disservice to the genre. In my mind if you're not talking about all the presidents first because in my mind to your point it's like it's the journalism movie it sets the template it 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 does show the warts and all it does show the grind does show how much sheer boredom can be in an interaction and how Mm -hmm. much you have to repress things to draw that information and also it is like an intersecting point visually thematically formally with all these other movies because they all share these incredible moments of tension, these subtle things of paranoia, and some of them go all out and crazy like network. And then some of them are just a golf course scene like the insider, uh, you know, um, some right. of them are like the conversation which takes that beautiful arc um, all the way through. But I think that, yeah, this 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 staying in the realm of truth um, uh, and authenticity is the one that really resonates with me.
2: No, I totally agree. I mean, I guess I suppose an argument can be made for stuff like ace in the hole and sweet yeah. smell of success sure. as like as as but right but it. those movies are a little bit more about the sensationalism of journalism right it's a little bit more walter Winchelly, it's a little bit more right it's that type of thing and morality
0: the tiles. Look, the ordinary yeah. tales.
2: yeah the beauty of this movie is it's and and look i've said this, i feel like i've said this a million times on um, to friends or on our podcast th- one of the million things that's great about this movie is this is a movie about process right like this is a movie about people doing their jobs right yeah. and it's like if you can capture that if you can capture the like you're saying there's a mundane to what's happening but if you can capture this the specificity of people doing their jobs waking up going to work right getting it done maybe you're not being the best like woodward First thirty minutes, one of the, one of the many great things about this movie. Not a great journalist, right? Yeah. Not a great journalist. That's well, kind of the funny part about that movie. Yeah. You know?
1: And what I what I think is is great about this minute in particular is that it feels obviously like the the big leap in success for their case, right, and yes. for their story, right. And not, I mean, not even feels like like is right. It is the the huge linchpin, and the reason that bernstein is able to get there with it is because he acts more like woodward
0: yes and and and, and it's and i love that you say that kind because that's the thing that i love about this whole movie and i think that movies about working with people who make each other better uh is like a genre in itself and that's like the whole you know um sort of, I guess, the flagship show of ours, One Heat Minute. It's like, he does this sharp, he does this sharp. It's like, it's about hitting yourself against the best and learning from them. And I remember one of like, even a crappy telephone job I had, like just working in a contact center at one time, like while I was going through university. And I remember like hearing other people who are really good and just stealing liberally from them. In the nicest possible <laughs> way. Because, like, yeah. they do it better. They ask questions better than you. They prank yeah. things better than you. And that's what's cool. Like there's a collaboration where, then what happens? You all sort of get better, and you all put your own spin on it, and then everyone has this like, we have this beautiful like. It ends up stop being stealing. It's like a collab. It's like you hear someone say something good. They like what you say. You help each other, and that's what I love about this this exact moment in this movie is like the blustery going down to Dardis's, which is a great performance by Ned Beatty. Yeah. Dardis's office, like going in there, and like my editor's got a deadline. That guy can't walk into the bookkeeper's house. Exactly, exactly, and it's. It
1: is like you said, Dan, that it's that catch flies with honey kind of thing. Yes. And, and you almost, as soon as, as soon as Hoffman gets inside the house, it's like he realizes it because the manner in which he gets inside the house is, is Bernstein. Right. But like the manner right. in which he gets the information is Woodward. And it's this like beautiful,
2: well, subtle right.
1: spin in that whole, in that whole dynamic.
2: And, and you know, it's funny. it, it, it it reminds, it, funny enough, it reminded me a little bit of Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, where the contention of that film, right, of the salesman is, you know, get into the house, right, like the whole Alec Baldwin speech, right, ask them any question, right, they answer one question, you have them, right, and it's just the next, right, you know what I mean, like, get them talking, get them listening, and so you're right, like, he get, once you're in that house, once the coffee's getting poured, right, if you can level set, right, and you can just, live there and let her come to where she needs to get yes that's the whole deal and that's the whole i mean that's the whole being a journalist thing and 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 you know there's a million jobs where you can where you can and it's funny you were saying blake um you know jobs just you learn from jobs i was a waiter forever and i remember like the old you know the old most it was like a lot of women a lot of men all smoking menthols they would you know they were all great at their jobs would turn the corner you know where the kitchen was and just be cursing at the customers. But they were amazing servers. And I remember they said to me, the thing I learned from them was like, you have to stop caring. The minute you stop caring, you will become a good server. And they were right. Like when I came back to like grab hours in between you know, college semesters or what have you, I came in very much like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to, i'm gonna i'm gonna live with this i'm gonna kind of do my job and get out of there i became a great waiter right like you learn that like you're saying from these people and it's an interesting point that connor made yeah with the woodward and the bernstein because another great thing about this movie is they don't really like each other right and i don't think in real life they really like each other and it's like that's such a beautiful element
0: but they accept who each other is like oh, yeah. right, And
1: they, and they, they work off of that. Right. It's like, you're going to be who you are. And the, obviously like, you know, and, and you've covered this to a degree, but like, you know, even in their intros to each other, it's this thing of, you know, Redford has that beautiful moment where he's like, I don't mind what you did. It's the way that you did it. Yes. Right. Anybody. He, but, he, but he also, as the movie goes on, concedes that like the way that he did it is also important and it's part of the process. Right. Uh, at least as it pertains to them talking to leads and sources and things like that. And it's something he, I, I mean, are we like not to get beyond this minute, I suppose, but like later on in the movie, it's a tactic he uses when he finally talks to deep throat for the last time. Right. Where he finally is kind of like, no, no, no. Like I, he gets aggressive. Right. And he, and oh,
0: it's there's, it, there's, it, a, there's a moment. And I'm happy for you to sort of, um, for us to sort of preview it because it's going to be a great part of that dialogue when it comes up is like, there's a moment coming up where Redford's Wood, like Redford's Woodward flat out gives his hush, like straight up, no bullshit straight to the, to point. the co-worker, right? Yeah. To his co-worker um, and yeah. his co-worker Sally. And he just like gives her the most no bullshit confronting line of questioning. Because he just doesn't want to be, there's, there's no sugarcoating anymore. And it's, it's a great moment of like, they've both got, they both have built this intuitive sense of like, who do I need to coddle and who do I need to just sit in the space Mm -hmm. in the silence and wait for them to fill it? And and who do I need to, I'm not going to, there's no more kid gloves on this. Like, just tell me the fucking story. (laughs) <laughs> is basically tell yeah. what you fucking know. Otherwise you're wasting my time. I have another yeah, exactly. things to do. And so it's a really interesting dichotomy. But as you said, Dan, you said it the best at the beginning. Both of these guys in their own ways at the beginning of this movie are not good at what they do. And right. part of the joy of this movie is watching them evolve and watching them have to bounce off one another and watching them get it. And even in the upcoming minutes of this scene, I actually think of it as like a great kind of coda to this whole whole great sequence is them watching them start to plan how they're going to interact with people. And then the inference is for the rest of the interactions they have in the film is that they've planned how they're going to be interacting with people, which is this great trick. Um, so much great stuff, but let's, let's actually dive into the minute. Um, because I know you you guys are both fans of our other one heat minute production, uh, increment vice. Um, but I don't tend to go an hour and a half like Travis says before getting into (laughs) 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 that's a, that's a dig. I love him to pieces, but, (laughs) <laughs> Let's get to the Gannett itself. Um, there's some great stuff in there, and then we'll come back and talk about it with you guys. A
1: group of them, about five. I don't know their names.
0: Would Mr. Uh, Sloan know?
1: Here you are. Would, would he have any? I, I don't want to say anymore, okay? I won't be much longer. I wondered if you could just help me a little bit about the, the the money. We we hear all kinds of figures. There's so much of it. How how much is so much? In one two-day period, six million dollars came in. Six. Six million cash. Mm-hmm. We didn't know where to put it all i thought it was all legal i mean i I guess i did until
0: after there it is dan tell me what's your favorite lawn rating in that minute please
2: okay so the two (laughs) so the two often lines um that are so great is he says i won't be much longer right (laughs) and the way he says it that's like The per, I feel like that's the perfect journalist, like, because what he's doing is he's like couching, right? It's a hedge. He's basically like, and then he says to Woodward, like, two minutes later, he was there for six hours, right? Like, you know, and so the beauty of that thing of just like, just no, 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 another minute, just another minute, just another minute, right? And he says that was such a such a beautiful line, and then the immediate next line he says is another great tactic where he's like, could you just help us with the numbers? We hear we hear so many different things, right? Like, and the the thing they learned that Connor was alluding to that's so beautiful is that idea of like, I already know, right? Just, you got to just make sure that I know that I know. You know what I mean? Right. That's, and that's a great, I mean, that's beautiful work, right? That's beautiful work. And like, and, and I don't think there's any doubt that Bernstein was the better journalist when they started in on this. I think the movie has no, no qualms about that, but, but he was way more brash. And like Connor said, and and you said, like the beauty of those moments, that moment in within that minute is those two lines where Hoffman is like, Let me soft shoe this. Let me get her there. Gentle, right? There's like, and it's, and. But just barely, like he's brimming with excitement. Yeah. Like the very next scene, I don't want to spoil. There's a similar thing that happens with Redford. Yeah. Where he's getting info and he's like doing everything in his power to like not blow his lid. Cause he's like, oh my God, this is going even higher than we thought. Like, you know, and it's very. And with,
1: but like, even with Hoffman in this scene, it's some amazing face acting oh. because she says six million and you it looks like hoffman wants to
0: vomit right like he's just like <laughs> there is a, he's, if, you slow he's, it down, if you slow it down car i just want to jump exactly onto that moment if you, yeah, sure. down, you go back and watch when she says six million hoffman's take his left eye does a tick. Right. like yeah. that how fucking good dustin hoffman it's, is it's, it's amazing. amazing it's and amazing the, the choice of take from Pakula to be like, I'm going to get and the tick. And then he kind of shakes it off <laughs> and, yeah. he, and blinks again and keeps talking. But the tick, the command of his face to yeah. know that he's going to have to authentically tick, but then suppress it is yeah. one of the most amazing things in this whole minute. I, that tiny detail. It's it's why the centerpiece in heat is the coffee shop, not the heist. Because the coffee shop oh, is, sure. is you are seeing emotions ripple through those guys' faces that other actors would give their entire lives to be able to have the command yeah. your faces to do that.
2: You know, I, I don't want to get heat. I am not want to go into heat, but I was just thinking about this because we were going to be talking today. I, I The coffee shop scene in Heat, I was so vividly remembering this. When I was younger, I taped Heat on my VHS tape because I would do that all the time when I was a kid and it was playing on TNT or whatever. And I didn't know anything about it. Like I was getting into movies, I was probably nine or something, I don't know. And I taped it and I had already watched The Godfather, come from an Italian family. So, you know, like they show you The Godfather when you're like five, you know? And like, I, I was watching the movie, I didn't know anything about it. And I knew in my head that De Niro and Pacino never were in a scene together in The Godfather, of course, or the second Godfather. And I, the joy that 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 rose up in me the first time I watched my tape of the TNT recording of Heat and Pacino is walking up to the car, and I was like, "Oh wait, are they gonna talk? Like, is <laughs> Al and Bob gonna have like I like realized it was gonna happen, and I remember like being young, being like, oh,
1: you know, like this I is gonna that, be. I intense. had that last like, week. I had that last. Yeah, week. Well, that's that's the thing about uh, that's the thing about you know, frankly, this movie and that movie. You, you
2: get know, a little bit of that too. in this movie. I yeah, think. yeah. It's, it's like, it's, there are so uh, many
1: moments like that in would, this movie yeah. as well, where you, you have them, you know, you could have the movie on and you could, you know, you could leave this movie. I mean, it's one of the great things about this movie. Dan and I were actually just saying this before we hopped on to talk to you, that like, you know, you, the 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 background enjoyment of this movie, oh. whether it's just, you could put it on mute and enjoy Gordon Willis's work for a million years, right? Uh, or even if you just kind of have it on there are so many moments that you not unlike the diner scene in heat even if you had that on in the background as soon as you know pacino's walking up to that car you go oh just shut the fuck up like
0: yeah. everybody just shut up like stop man, let's just get put on do not disturb yeah yeah next seven minutes to yeah again. Ex-
1: exactly exactly
0: <laughs> and and
1: this movie has a, a couple moments like that this scene this series of minutes uh, being one of them i i feel like the other one that stands out to me is the scene where i mean almost anything with robarts because he's just uh, a
2: fucking like
1: powerhouse in wasn't it thing. interesting like,
2: the robe you know i i like the post fine i know the post has come up a bunch already on 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 this podcast as as of course it you know it naturally would it's interesting how robarts is playing ben bradley the person and hanks is playing ben bradley the legend yes and it's if you if you if you concede that to the spielberg picture you'll enjoy the movie a whole lot more like if you can see that hanks is playing bradley as a totally different as like a legend right you you go like okay <laughs> right like but it, like the robarts thing is a, unmatched you know well, we feel
1: it feels so naturalistic yeah uh, with you him did. and I know he's not part of our minutes so
0: we don't necessarily need to go on about it but we, we, I, we can we can absolutely and <laughs> it's almost a, a compulsory to take a Robards digression but I just want to say if you can see that to the whole film if you can see that it is Spielberg playing with both the legend of the post choo, 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 it choo, as, choo, as choo. a legend and then the legend of all the presidents men in, I guess, American cinema. You see yes. the way that they shoot it. They shoot it with this yeah. more reverential outside of world. And if you if you're so deeply familiar with presidents, and you know, kind of, you nailed it. Which is like, I was editing. Hundreds of episodes of uh, One Heat Minute with all the Presidents Men in the background because I right. was because I'd been doing so much research and I just you know A is the beginning of your Apple iTunes VOD and so all the Presidents Men is in my top <laughs> left <level laughs> and you just go Yep that'll do like that's a good yeah, enough yeah and we mm-hmm. have on and I've seen it enough times and and it and it really it it put its hooks in me and uh, and and so there's totally that but yeah Robards in this year just to talk about he was nominated. The best, uh, for the best supporting actor in one in the same year that Burt Young, Burgess Meredith, Ned Beatty, and Lawrence Olivier were nominated. Wow! Maybe the most fierce. What was
2: the what was the Olivier movie?
0: Marathon Man.
2: Oh, oh with, Hoff, with Hoffman.
0: Yeah. yeah. Marathon Man, Two Rockies, and fucking Network. And didn't Goldman write
2: Marathon Man?
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Goldman was crushing (laughs) 76. Oh, my God. I know. So, you've got this, obviously adapted from his own novel, but it's like- Right, um, right, right, right. You've got this, that year, I think about, and that any one of those performances deserves an Oscar. Like, I mean, and don't it, you
2: think, isn't it crazy that the Olivier has to be the weakest? I mean, it's a great performance, yeah. but don't you isn't it crazy
0: that that's the fifth best performance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Olivier, you are easily the weakest and least iconic. <laughs>
2: and it's like, it's that's an iconic performance. It's like, but you're like, when you look at those, I mean, Burt Young and Rocky, you make fun of Rocky all you want or whatever. That performance is unbelievable. We will right? not like, make fun of Rocky on this podcast. No, no, I mean, I love Rocky. I'm just saying that's an easy, it's always been an easy target. Uh, but, but, but that Burt Young performance is unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, that's good. What a, what a, what a lineup.
0: What a, what a lineup and him. And just that, yeah, he's, Robards is so great, you know, even in like Ballad of Cable Hogue, he's wonderful. And, and we talk, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I went, I've now, strangely, because of Jason Robards and Michael Mann's, uh, 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 I guess Michael Mann having a kinship to, um Peckinpah and Robards being in Peckinpah I've kind of gone down those rabbit holes you know and having multiple Robards and then Peckinpah and seeing this weird sort of triangulation and connection of all these these guys but yeah he's a he's a such a a terrific actor across the board
2: I mean and it's funny just talking about Oscars bringing it back to the minute um Jane Alexander (laughs) and I didn't even know this nominated within really the space of like 12 years nominated four times and uh never won which is insane she's so kind of a really special almost like utility player if you want to say that in the 70s and the 80s really just incredible and incredible got, in, this, in this movie.
0: you guys haven't heard it yet because literally is the day we're recording this is the day that i'm actually posting the 76th episode with john borson but i found a rare interview with pakula about making all the president's men and the interview was uh, i think a. Uh, unintentionally one of the best interviews because it's like, you made me feel like this. How did you do it? And it was a very sort of open interview style. Like you made me feel like this. You made me ignore that Redford and Hoffman were who they were. And I would, I invested in it and he goes to great lengths to talk about. He shot that scene with Jane Alexander and Hoffman. And he talked about, he's like, I was sitting on my little, you know, my 25 cent Apple box, like behind the camera, watching the scene unfold. And he goes, I felt like I should have been paying $25 a day to be there to watch these two people do their thing. He's like, because he was talking about the weird alchemy of an actor. Like you have a job to do. You need to serve the story. You need to say a line, but there's such a, he he said there's a magic that he doesn't even really understand about how an actor can kind of play with pure intuition and pure, uh, uh, you know, um, spontaneity in amongst all that stuff and having to disguise that you're doing the work with the spontaneity. And he said this scene in particular was the scene of like probably the scene of the movie for him because he was just so thrilled to be working with these two people who are just at the top of their game. And I I just, the big ones that I don't think we've touched on quite yet in the scene is I love that Hoffman's Bernstein pushes her to the precipice and her posture for me is so unbelievable in this whole scene. And it's the one time that she deflates and I, you watch him put his coffee cup down and you hear the clank of the coffee mug because it's a subtle shit. Like it's a subtle frustration, almost slamming down, but with such restraint of like, I can't believe I got it to this close and then didn't get the confession. And then to your point, Dan, he does that great spin around, which is like well, maybe just the money, like, just if you could just tell me. The money. And the question right, so teases it out, but there's just the I posture, um, all the all the performative and gestural sphere of everything that happens with an actor um, especially in these scenes really gets me going and and just watching her fall back i just i die every time she does it it's so wonderful. oh yeah that's 100 the
1: yeah. have you blake have you talked about the setting of this scene at all like the physical setting we have but I'll, let's go again uh, yeah, yeah. No, no 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 i just in again uh like i mentioned uh before we started recording like i I just rewatched this today before hopping on. So I was also just diving in just all the stuff on the internet. And uh, one thing I didn't know is just that they shot this in Judy Hobach's home. Yes, I did. Which is like yeah, insane crazy. to me. <laughs> uh, and I, I would imagine if you are Pakula or even Hoffman or Jane Alexander, right? That's got to have some effect on what you're doing here for sure. Um, but the what i love about it in particular even not having that knowledge but the way the scene is put together and quick shout out to uh to um robert wolf just the, the editing in this scene which you have talked about a little bit um the patience of it and knowing kind of how long to hold on jane alexander when she has those moments with that physical posture yes um it's so crucial to how all of this unfolds um because it all feels interminable right and and it uh but in a in a great way right and it sort of goes back to that patience that i was talking about in terms of like building that tension where you you're almost expecting because they've been striking out so much up to this point in the movie you are almost expecting the scene to just cut at any moment right where it's like he could ask a question and then And then it just goes away and, you know, whatever, we, we move on. Um, but it's that, it is that sort of patience that leads you to that really, um, tantalizing like, okay, just one next question. And then one next question. And he sort of just gently sort of, uh, coaxes these little bits of information out of her. And then of course, you know, you get, you get to finding out that it's been, you know, he spends six hours there or whatever, but, um, the six million
0: dollars, the six, the is line, of, the line that, of six million dollars, and then, and especially the follow-up question, how much is so much? Because you know, yeah. I, you know, as people are listening now, they've, um, there's the, the great Trump interview that people are louding uh, around the place because it had simple follow-up questions from an Australian right. listener. Right. Right. Axios, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, at Axios, and uh, but I just like. She's like, we didn't know where to put it all. And you've watched the smile on Hoffman's face. It's <laughs> it's like that sardonic cheek. He wants to come through, but he just doesn't let it out. He's just yeah. Like, you yeah. didn't know where to like, and she's like, I didn't think it was illegal until, and you're like, right. His- and it
1: all, it all tracks kind of like, right. it all makes sense. Like the way she says it, the way she delivers a line like that. You're like, yeah, I like, I guess if, if yes. you're in it and you're not really thinking about it, especially cuz they've already mentioned like you know other high figures right in this scene up to this moment um you 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 think that you know like you're expecting a high number but even even as a viewer who knows historically how all this shook out that figure getting dropped in the middle of the scene is still you're just like holy shit
0: like just I, even now in 2020 it's like in a yeah big it's big still, big if, up, if like, i if, if, if i saw that in a single day, yeah. six million, you'd just be like, that's one third of the heat heist. I'm sorry. Yeah, to right? Like,
1: <laughs> right. I'm sorry, this is yeah, more what is, what sorry. is this in heat money? In heat money, good, good, good. it's up
0: to a third based on Kelso's readouts, but it's but it, it, <laughs> I, I, still an ungodly amount of money. It's yeah. like even- Well,
2: look, think about Sizemore, just trying to carry all that in the, back, <laughs> in the, in yeah. the bag. Yeah. A
0: lot. It's a lot of money. and um, But yeah, no, that's that's crazy. and just uh, there's one guy I do want to mention um, because he does get a shout out in the interview with Pakula is George Jenkins. Who's the production designer who actually won the Oscar for the movie. Um, mm. said, he said, when I met George, he was so obsessive about authenticity. You know, they talk about flying the rubbish from uh, the Washington post offices, but particularly where they're shooting this scene. He was so obsessive that he was just wanted to, he's like, I want the actors to not have any barrier whatsoever to their authenticity. So if they feel like they're in the real space, they're never getting distracted by this as a set or I'm going to trip over this. Or I'm going to walk through. He's like, I want them to feel like they're in the spaces. And so particularly here, you look behind Hoffman and you see, you know, the bookkeepers real departed husband behind yeah. You know, in a photo underneath the lamp behind them, and they're only shooting this maybe like a, a year or two after the actual conversation happened and they're ferrying away, you know, the real bookkeeper's sister and the real bookkeeper out of, out of our way so that these guys can actually perform it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's as a detail, you know, I think now in 2020 and you guys would know, uh, contributing to a film site we have such an obsession in modern cinephilia with like authenticity and where people shoot real things especially in docudramas like this and it's like this movie just sort of flew under the radar and did all these amazing things and did really go to the q hotel and did really go to this person's house and did really go around and it's like if you if you were going through like you can you can track all this it's it's kind of yeah, insane. Yeah. They like did it and and it kind of felt like it was expected but these days people actually give it the credit it's due and say no this is insane like they really did something unbelievably special with this
1: yeah and it it like i said it's this it's an intangible thing that adds to it and then you don't necessarily know that it's there while you're watching it or
0: you, you well you don't know what it is while you're watching it but like you know that it's there right and it's um and it's all the more crazy for willis to like think of the frame you know the this, this is a two-shot in our minute, but, like, just the framing of the stairs, mm-hmm. just the framing of the stair banister and the palings. Uh, right, the loft, jail bar st- uh, st- uh, stair bar. banister. Yeah, yeah. So like, just to, just to have mm-hmm. people walk into a space and go, and to have that, you know, spark of inspiration because you are in a real intangible tangible space is sort of crazy as well. It's a, it's a really, really interesting.
2: Well, and, and to the point of the editing as well, along with the Willis uh, f- photography, um, It takes, and this speaks to Pakula as a director as well. It takes a restraint and a confidence to live on a middle shot when Jane Alexander falls back, right? Like that's an intense moment, as subtle as it is and there would be and i'm i'm sure they got this coverage right like there would be in the editing room an impetus to like wanna punch in or cut into you know punch in on a close and then pop back out and there is a not unlike not unlike the diner scene in heat right where there is a confidence a restraint at a, a a um, experienced eye that where you know, no, 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 let's not distract from what's going on. Let's just let it play out, right? Like let's have confidence in our in our performances and let's just let it play out, right? Which is like, you know, editing like that will never usually not win awards where it's like you have the Lee Smith inception editing, amazing, of course, but it's like editing that's telling a story because of the cuts. Right. And yeah. then you have editing like this where it's like the non-editing is the editing. Right. And that's something that gets lost. I think sometimes in the pomp and circumstance of everything. Um, so that's important to acknowledge, I think in this minute, specifically in this minute, actually. Yeah.
1: And it's and it, right. Like the particularly, frankly, even in contrast to other parts or other earlier parts of the movie where, you know, Redford's on the phone, and it's constantly cutting to a notepad, jotting down important pieces of information. But there is not, you know, maybe for those of you who, who have not seen the movie and are only listening to this, there is not a shot in the middle of the scene where he writes the, the figure sixty mil or six million.
0: No, right? no like no, no. It, there's no it, cut it to the notepad.
1: As Dan said, like it literally is confident enough to let it sink in, right? And and it and it just allows the performers. uh, and and to your point blake about the production design it allows just the entire atmosphere to do the work for you of like yeah okay she said 6 million let's
0: take a minute and like acknowledge how insane that is six seconds to pause after she says 6 million yeah, just it's, look at us in off <laughs> its face because yeah i feel like there's an eternity like a weird you know a temporal shift that happens where you that that drags out for me of like $6 mil, like 6 million the repetition the smile the like yeah 6 yeah and
1: it's and it's something that that frankly wouldn't play as well if if this did have some kind of like close up inserts or uh you know uh or an audition of the the uh, the notepad or something like that that wouldn't uh, wouldn't you know would certainly convey the information right obviously but but not the uh the emotion or the tension
0: yeah it's um patient editing is such an underrated it is a deeply underrated and 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 the design. Amen, Reverend. Amen. And, and the design of a scene to have the confidence to, you know, speedy editing, uh, telling telling a story, uh, to to heighten something, all those sorts of things. Like I think, one example, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, but like the insider golf course scene is like one of the most masterful, masterfully shot and constructed and pieces of you know editing and storytelling that you would ever see. Just as like a maybe a five or six minute little vignette if you like of, of, of really, really, really powerful storytelling. But, but that's not, that doesn't necessarily denote like amazing power because it has all these cuts. It's, it's, it's in service of what, the tone of that minute is the paranoia of that minute, the, the stretched out moments were a sort of contemplative and then the panicked moments are shorter. And so it's all about the emotional intuition of what the edits are doing. And I just feel like in this, just having the emotional intuition to be like, let everything have air, let everything breathe, let everything wait. Um, is just one of those really special parts of this. And, and like, it's the fact that it's deliberate. You know because it's not an accident <laughs> obviously it's not an accident nothing's an accident when you're making a movie but like the fact that they deliberately intended to do this um makes it all the more special
2: yeah but Bak- Bakula was great at that i mean i know you've mentioned presumed innocent on on uh, much uh- of episodes i mean that's the master class and how do you you know how do you a courtroom thriller right how do you do that How do you capture atmosphere? And that's, I feel like, as good as anything you'll see. As good as the verdict or, you know, something like that. Yeah,
1: And it's the one thing that I think makes, one of the things that's interesting about this scene uh, in comparison to other maybe sort of bombshell moments in the rest of the movie is... There is something in 2020 that sort of unfortunately feels quaint about this movie, right? Uh, in the in the in sort of the grand scheme of the the level of corruption that's going on. Yeah. Um, but this moment in this movie, still has that impact because of the way it's allowed to, right? So even though you have moments later where other characters are, are relating to Woodward or Bernstein the depths and 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 the uh or I should say the heights of this corruption, you know, you can't help, I suppose specifically as an American, listen to it and go, yeah, I don't know. It like <laughs> like that doesn't sound as bad, like do you know, like it's not that it's not terrible, but you're just kind of like, yeah, I, it gets worse, though, guys. So I don't know, right? And um, and your point earlier, Blake, like that figure, even in 2020, like the six million, oh. like it's that still hits, and uh, and, and the scale the up, atmosphere of this, of this,
0: of this, uh, scale it up with inflation, it's about 30 to 40 million,
1: <laughs> right? Which is, which is in a single. Uh,
0: if you're in an office, if you're in an office. As a, as a bookkeeper and you were there to take out corporate fat cats. And one day you go from 300,000 or let's say in modern terms, that's, you know, close to, let's just say close to a million dollars is your average maximum you've ever seen shuffle in and out of there. And then one day 40 million shuffles through,
2: right? Yeah. 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 Well, the, the great, the, the dual tragedy of the Nixon administration was the arrogance and the paranoia. Right. And like no scene, there's not another scene that so definitely captures both things in one minute than this scene because the arrogance of $6 million in cash sitting on a desk trying to, to carry it. I a place for it. And then the paranoia of them them being everybody involved with Nixon approaching this bookkeeper once it wasn't a joke anymore and people were actually looking at it and being like, don't talk, right? Like, that's the beauty of the first few minutes of the movie is when Woodward goes to the courtroom, the one guy is basically joking with him about it. Like, who cares, right? Because it's McGovern, they're going to win, who da-da-da, the whole thing. And then by the midpoint, this point, right, with Jane Alexander, it's like they all care, and they probably care too much. If they didn't care at all, they probably would have gotten away with it, right? That's the whole thing with Watergate, Mm. right? So so it's really pretty deftly illustrated by her falling back in the chair by his reaction to the to the figure um you know it's a good microcosm for kind of what the movie's going what goldman and, and everyone is going for which is crazy
0: gentlemen thank you so much for taking the time to microcosmically examine this <laughs> movie with me it's not something that you normally do but i really appreciate it and i appreciate your time so much um other than the b-side podcast which you guys produce now is it every week once a week,
2: uh, bi-weekly, bi-weekly. Every weekly, weeks, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Every couple of weeks. Where can people find you?
2: Uh, I will, I will let Connor, uh, wrap us up because he's really good at that. Uh, you can find me, um, <laughs> on, on <laughs> at, at-, at also D-
0: produces the B side podcast and has, uh, yes, yeah, the- Connor's and, and, and the-, the host with the most on the cinephile game. So he's, uh, he's got, he's got those, uh, things that he has to do. Those fastidious details.
2: Exactly. connors the brains behind the operation. Uh, no, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm at DJ Mecca, M-E-C-C-A, and um, I'm writing for the film stage. I just interviewed the director of La Yorona, a very good movie that just came out, uh, which that was a fun interview and interviewed a guy I love a lot, Josh Hartnett, recently, which we were uh, talking about to the city foggy he's a he's an actor that i that i uh, i ride for pretty hard um and yeah other than that you can look for us at uh, tfsb side uh, and uh, look for future episodes
1: yeah you can uh, you can find us on twitter and facebook at tfsb side uh you can find me on twitter at scruffy looking um and uh also i'll just plug real quickly uh dan has been kind of starting this sort of experimental ende- endeavor called, uh, fathom, which is just sort of short little audio stories that, that drop, uh, weekly, I believe. Right.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, yeah and, at, uh, and, at fathom stories. Yeah. Yeah. Doing- at,
1: at fathom stories on Twitter. And, uh, and you can basically find those, uh, just about anywhere you get podcasts. They're, kinda,
2: and- they're like twilight zoney five minute, uh, fiction bits. Right. So it's very fantastical, very kind of, morality play allegorical stuff. And so we're having fun. Uh, you know, we work with a lot of great voice talent, so we're kind of getting favors from them and doing some cool stuff. So check us out if that interests you at all. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And then there's obviously the, uh, the B side podcast, which as you said, is bi-weekly. Um, we have a couple cool things coming up for that, uh, Bill Murray episode actually featuring, uh, Robards. Uh, so, Oh yes, 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 yes. yes, Yeah. Keep, keep, keep your eyes peeled for that. (laughs) And, um, And yeah, and then obviously uh, we're going to be wrapping up the uh, cinephile game night season pretty shortly, but you can uh, find us there on the film stage Twitter
0: guys it was great wow. it was great being your partner even though we got bludgeoned to death by uh scripts gone wild um <laughs> like thank you so much for doing the show again and guys just uh i know these guys all appreciate it Corey everett who is the creator of the cinephile game was uh, was obviously on the film stage team which was great for him to be there uh and if you want to go back and look at the cinephile game night that we did together there is a moment where i showed the real poster um the blade runner poster that oh I yes did. And Corey's heartbreak was like Ralph when Lisa breaks up with him, like because Corey realized <laughs> in that moment, as someone doing something good to raise money for a really fantastic cause, in that moment he wasn't going to be able to get his hands on that poster. Right. So it was- well, and Connor? Connor <laughs> reprimanded him. It yeah. yeah. was like, "No, on. you can't." And that's why I why I mentioned it because I like, Connor reprimanded him in that moment, and it made me knuckle, <laughs> And I was trying to be professional and like you know show. <laughs> poster i was donating it for a good cause um and i think Corey was like i will pay hundreds of dollars donation yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: i was i was in my head Corey was dming you after the show being like hey blake so seriously right. what's up with some, some
1: real shit? some real nixon shit you yeah. Know? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: that's how we gotta wrap up some real exactly. nixon shit gentlemen thank you so much for doing this appreciate it thank you thank, thank you, you. How great are Dan and Connor? So wonderful. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of the show. You heard where to find them and what they're up to. Thank you so much for listening. We've had a mammoth week. If you guys want to support us, subscribe, rate, review this bad boy. Give us some five stars. Help get the podcast out there. Thank you so much for following along. Twitter, at ATPMPod, at one me on Twitter and Instagram, oneheatminute.com. And if you want to reach out to us, mail at oneheatminute.com if you want to email Uh, And if you have a couple extra shekels at the moment, we would love your support. Hit the donate link in the description of this podcast. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it.